Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. They're all coming in. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. If you don't know me, I'm Ron Young. I'm one of the ruling elders here at Jacobswell Church. And from time to time, they let me preach, like, you know, on holidays when people are gone. And uh, yeah, here's everyone. Yeah, first service, I started working, I started preaching and uh, I, I kind of went on a little side trail and uh, I told Dan, I'll, I'll preach the sermon I actually prepared for second service. So Lord willing, it'll, it'll go well. Okay, I think most everyone's in here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start simply by reading the scripture that I'm preaching on and praying, and then I'll just get right into it. That sounds good? So today is, uh, even though I'm kind of preaching a, a, a lot of background and context, uh, the text today is from chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, uh, verses 11 through 20. And the context, just briefly, is um, the people of, of Israel, after wandering in the desert for 20 years, they're going, or 40 years, sorry, they're going to be going into the promised land in just a second. And um, here we go. Deuteronomy 30, starting in verse 11. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us to bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so that you can do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I commanded you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, Choose life, 
that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, and you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you especially for the word that became flesh and lived amongst us and died as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. That we might enter into the promised life that you've given us and that we might love you and live eternally through that word become flesh, Jesus Christ our Lord. And in his name we pray, amen. So a little background to this passage. Um, Dan last week preached, or last two weeks, preached from Numbers 14. And the essence, if you recall, is um, God had delivered his people out of Egypt. They had seen the miracles, the the wonders, as the Bible calls them, we call them plagues often. The Bible referred to them as his wonders. Against the Egyptians, they cross the Red Sea. Um, he provides for them uh, food, manna, quail, water from even a rock. Um, and they get to the point where now they're going to, they, they should uh, go into um, the promised land. Uh, a land of Canaan that was promised to Abraham um, and his descendants. And they sent out the spies, the 12 spies. Ten of them came back saying, yeah, this is, we, we can't do this. They're giants and they're like grasshoppers and their cities are fortified. And only two of them, Caleb and, and Joshua, said, no, we can do this. With the Lord's on our side, we can do this. And the people decided they weren't going to go. And so God in his mercy, did not wipe them out. If you recall, Moses pled for them, said, look, if you, if you kill us all, then what are all the, neighbor, what are all the nations around us going to think of you? you? You brought your people out only to kill them. And uh, the Lord was merciful and said, uh, you know, you guys will possess the land, but you're going to wander for 40 years in the desert so that the generation that denied them, that um, those who were 20 years and older would all die in the desert. Um, and so they did. They wandered around for 40 years. And um, now it's time for them to possess the land. So 40 years ago, they rebelled against God. Now they're going to go. Um, but of that group that had rebelled, of the, those who were 20 years and older, um, there's only left now Moses, Jacob, or Joshua, and Caleb. And uh, Pastor Dan's going to preach about this uh, next Sunday. Um, even Moses isn't going to be allowed to go into the promised land. And the reason is um, he, he didn't trust God. He uh, disobeyed him also. Um, and though he doesn't perish like the others did wandering around, he is not going to make it in the promised land, 
Only Joshua and Caleb are of that generation. But before they go in, um, because of their, the, the, the generation that came after them, were also not faithful. Um, they continue to grumble and complain. Um, and even though those who were like between, you know, one and 20 had seen everything, they knew everything, they complained and grumbled. And then their kids grow up as kids do, grumbling and complaining. And what God says about all this grumbling and complaining, all this rebellion, is that it boils down to this. They don't trust God. They're not being faithful to God and to the covenant that they had made at Mount Sinai. And so before they go, here's the context of the verse that um, I think it's on here. The, The context of the verse is covenant renewal. Before they go into the promised land, God has Moses divide them into half in verses, uh, chapters 27 to 30. And they, they first, they, they repeat the covenant blessings and the covenant curses, right? If you do these things, all this good's gonna happen. If you don't do these things, these are the bad things that'll happen to you. And then, and then they, they renew their covenant with God here before entering in. They were still in the covenant, Right? They didn't like, you know, an example of this is I, I had a, a good friend. Uh, I, I was in Young Life while I was in college. Uh, during the time I was a volunteer leader, uh, we didn't have an area director. Or like, I was kind of like the, the leader, even though I was like a college student. We hired, they hired this guy named Mick who, who was there for a year, and then he left. And the only thing he did was he'd go, Oh, you're doing a good job over there, Ron. And then, you know, nothing. But then a couple years later, I'm now on staff with Young Life, and uh, they hire an area director. And this guy was about a decade older than I was. He was married. He had a master of divinity. He was just a great guy, very charismatic, um, very, very knowledgeable. And he, and he for the first time, um, he met with me on a on a regular basis, like weekly at first, and then it was uh, every other week. And he poured his life into me, and I really, really enjoyed um, his mentorship and his friendship and just admired him. And, um, but he was only there for two years, and then he went off to, to uh, be the pastor of uh, families and youth at a kind of a large church, the church that he and his wife and kids were attending. And I was very sad about that. We'd, we'd get together now, like, very rarely. Um, but, man, I really cherished his friendship. One day I got a phone call. He says, hey, let's, um, let's get some breakfast. And, of course, that's like music to my ears. I love breakfast. John 21, 12, my favorite verse in all Scripture, Jesus, after being resurrected, says to his disciples, come, have breakfast. Isn't that great? John 21, 12. Anyway, life verse for me. John 20, come have breakfast. So um, where was I? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so my, my friend, he calls me to have breakfast. We get together, and we sat down. I'm so excited to see him. And he, 
And he confesses to me that he had an affair. He had committed adultery with his... Um, and it was shocking to me. And, um, and so he began to explain the story. Evidently, the entire time he was with Young Life, he and his wife um, were not having uh, a good relationship. There was things going wrong um, in it. They, they kind of avoided talking about things. Um, he felt that this call to this church would give him a, a more stable schedule. Uh, he wouldn't have to fundraise, which would put some ease. And they th he thought that the job change was going to make things better. Well, while he was a, a pastor of families and, and um, youth, there was a, a woman who was having marital problems, and uh, he would meet with her, and, uh, and soon they were having an emotional affair, things that were, um, you know, he was felt like he was needing, he was getting from her, and things that she felt she was lacking, he was getting from him. And one day, after a youth event and everyone left, uh, she was sharing with him about some things, and he, you know, was a good listener and gave some encouragement, and then they embraced, and that embrace led to a kiss, and that kiss led to um, a physical um, affair. The, the great news was that they both felt extremely guilty and remorseful. They told their spouses that very night. And then the next day, they talked to their pastor. Um, he was, uh, lost his job. They gave him a great severance and an ability for them to go through counseling. And because of her mercy... And grace, she did not pursue a divorce. They worked it out. And then a year, a year, about a year after the, the incident took place, and then a little bit of time on, an, on the anniversary of their wedding, they renewed their vows. They had a, a ceremony to uh, to go, they were married still. Like they they weren't divorced. They were still in this marriage, but they renewed their vows and their commitment to one another as a way of him saying, "I I blew it," and a, as a grace to him to be able to recommit to her and to vow once again, and a, and from her to to be able to do that and say. I forgive you and we'll start over. But the breach, what could have been a divorce, started earlier. It started when um, instead of addressing the issues that they were having in their marriage, he began, his heart began to go elsewhere. So a similar thing is happening. What God is addressing to the people is your heart needs to say with the Lord. They had rebelled against him. They had complained. They had grumbled. They had expressed that they don't trust, not outright, but kind of in this passive-aggressively complaining against the leaders 
what God wants to do here is to have the opportunity for them to renew their covenant before it's broken. They renew their covenant. And they hear once again the words of God and what what it means to be in the covenant and the promises that are given so that they can commit again to the Lord and follow him. So this covenant renewal, this is not the last time that the people of God will do this. Joshua, I think it's chapter 24, there'll be another time where they renew their covenant. We know like when Josiah, after the the people of God had lost the law and they haven't been really following him, Josiah finds that there's a covenant renewal. Um, In Nehemiah, I know we preached through the book of Nehemiah a couple years ago, I think. Um, there's There's a renewal of covenant ceremony that happens there. The interesting thing is, and I don't know if you know this, but the way that our church service is organized is a covenant renewal, okay? So if you, if you go back and you look at all the covenant-making and renewal ceremonies in the Old Testament, you see that there's a pattern. And it, and it really, it starts in the Garden of Eden, even before sin happened, there was this covenant that God made, which is we call it the covenant of works. If you, if you obey God, you will live. If you disobey God, you will die. And the way God made it is he put two trees in the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The word of God is don't eat of that tree or you'll die. And it's in the middle of the garden, and the purpose of that is so that the people living in the garden, in the midst of it, they, they can be reminded of God's command. And in faith, not eat of it, and in gratitude, they can take and eat of the tree of life, the other tree, and commune with God forever. And so the covenant-making and renewal ceremonies we see in the Old Testament have the same pattern with one exception. Now that there's sin, there has to be something that allows you to come near. And so in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, uh, you have sacrifices, right? There's a, the, the uh, sacrifice of atonement or the near bringing is basically the sacrifice that allows you to come near to God, right? For us, it's in the, in the New Covenant, it's in the New Testament, it's, it's confession of sin, The sacrifice has been made for us by Jesus Christ, so we come. You'll see this in our service, right? The first thing that we do is simply give an acknowledgement of who God is and praise him. So our first song is always one of praise. This is the God that we're coming to worship, and we praise him. But the second thing we do is we we confess our sin. We sing a song or we're, we're led in a confession. It reminds us that we have not been faithful We've not been faithful, and so we need to take care of that sin. And once we've taken care of that sin, there's thanksgiving and praise once again, and it prepares us then to hear God's word once again, to say yes to that word, and then in gratitude and thanksgiving, we take and eat of our Savior's body and blood, 
the Lord's Supper and we commune with him forever. So that's the, that's the pattern of covenant making and renewal in the old covenant. It's the way that worship has been since, get this, from the very beginning. From the Garden of Eden to now. The exception is now that sin's in the world, there's this confession. And we have liturgies of the earliest early church um, services. Uh, the, the liturgy of St. James is maybe 100 years removed from when Jesus was alive uh, or living on the planet. And guess what the order, it's the same order. So we have the opportunity to come and to renew our covenant with God. So let's look at what's going here in this last part of this covenant renewal ceremony that, that God, when he speaks to his people. All right. So first, so we have this offer, this covenant choices that God is making. So let's, let's look at uh, the offer. The commandment here, uh, 11 through 14, let me read. For this commandment that I commanded you, command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. Okay, well, what's the commandment he's asking? Well, we see this in uh, verses 8 through 10, and I'm just going to back up and read that for you. He says, and again, you shall obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I commanded you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the works of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you, as he took delight in your fathers, when you obey the voice of the Lord your God, to keep his commandments and the statutes that are written in the book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul." So when he says, this is the commandment that I command you today, it's to be obedient, to obey, like these things. Now, let me, let me just pause there for, for a moment. I'm a dad. I got five kids, right? I love giving my kids stuff, right? Any parents out there? Which, which do you prefer? Uh, disciplining your children for doing something wrong or giving them a good gift? How many of you prefer giving your kids good gifts, right? It's universal. All the kids are raising their hand. I like it when my parents give me good gifts instead, right? You, you need to understand that what God is doing, he's doing out of love and in his, his delight to give him, his people, his children, blessing. He's, he is wanting them to choose life. He's wanting them to, to, to obey. And you can kind of get this sense of it when, they, when he talks about the blessings. There's an ex, I think there's a delight. He wants to delight in his kids. He, wants to, he doesn't want them to blow it. As a father, I had the same, same thing. I, I want my kids not to blow it. I remember um, my son, Jake, wanted like one of those uh, helicopters, remote control helicopters. They, they weren't, at the time, they weren't all that cheap. 
we thought it would be really, it would be a delight to give him one of these helicopters. And we sat down and we talked to him about, like, okay, here's this great gift. And it could be great. It's going to be fun. I want you to learn how to use it inside, right? And, and you know, so you, you get used to the controls of it. And then when you, uh, when you get better at it, we'll take it out in the field because we have this field by house. We could do it in the field and, you know, it'll be just this great fun. Don't, don't take it out until I could do it. Don't, or that I could be there. Don't, um, don't do it over here by the trees. Don't, you know, and I'm giving them these rules because I'm a jerk, right? Because I hate him having fun. No, I want him to delight in it. And you know what Jacob did? He determined for himself he was good enough to take it outside. And the very first time, very first time, he put it up out in the front yard next to all the trees with the wind blowing. Guess what happened? It's destroyed. Like, here's this good gift I am delighted as a father to give. And the instructions are given not because I'm a a jerk, because I'm a father who delights in my children and I want them to enjoy the good gift because I know better than them. All right, all you moms and dads, look to your children and go, because we know better than you. Okay, go ahead, you have my permission. All right. And uh, you have my permission at any time from now on to say to your children that very same thing, because I know better than you. That's, you can, now kids, you can all blame it on me. But it's true, God knows better than we are. And so when he's bringing these, these, these blessings and curses, it's not because he's a killjoy, it's because he's the author of life. And he knows how life ought to be lived. And he's presenting them before them and saying to us, to his people, choose life. Choose life. It is not difficult for us to look at our world right now and see what happens when people don't follow what God has given to us as instructions for life. It's misery. Things fall apart. It's, it's, it's not good. I, it is necessary for the church of Jesus Christ to tell people this is sin and it's wrong and it's bad and it's, why? Because we're jerks. No, because we love our neighbor as ourself. And when they're following after these sinful things, it's only going to be curse and misery for them. Do you believe that? Like seriously, do you believe that? Do you know that's true? It is true. So one of the things that the church of Jesus Christ needs to do is have the courage to love one another and to love our neighbor. 
And part of it is just saying there's a better way. This way leads to life. That way leads to death. This is the good way. Follow it. Goes on. It is, it's not too far off. It's, it's, it is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for us, uh, that we may uh, hear it and do it. Neither is beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it or do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart so that you can do it. I don't know how many times I've been with Christians who are asking advice about some particular thing when the Bible is saying this and they want to do that. It, it's, it's, it's not that we need to go find a guru, guru out there who has some sort of special connection to some mysterious being away from us or someone who's delved into some sort of magical, mysterious thing from before the flood and the ancient aliens delivered this, I don't know. Like we already know that God has given us his word. Moses went on the mountain. He copied down all that God had told him. The finger of God wrote the Ten Commandments. You go down, it's there. Now, now listen to this. The, there's one of the um, problems, I think, that, that the church of Jesus Christ has is, is that sometimes we forget that, the, that the, the, God, the covenant God made with Adam was one of works. Do this or you die. The covenants after that have all been about, are all covenants of grace. Right? Our, our Westminster standards call it the first covenant is the one with Adam, and then there's the second covenant, which is the covenant of grace. And there's just two different administrations of that covenant of grace. There's the old one at Mount Sinai, and there's the new one with Jesus. They're both gracious. No one on the planet deserved God's condens- con- uh, to uh, uh, condescend to them and enter into a promise with them. No one. It's all grace. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, all of us are deserving of death. And for God to come and say, hey, listen, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to give you this land. And I'm going to give you instructions on how to live and you're going to be fruitful. And mul-. No one deserves that. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. The Jews didn't deserve it. No one deserves it. It's grace. So when Moses comes down and they, they, they enter into this covenant with God, it's a gracious covenant. They're his people, right? But there's two administrations. Listen, listen to this from our larger catechism. Question 32, how is the grace of God manifested in the second covenant? The grace of God is manifested in the second covenant and that he freely provides and offers to sinners a mediator. 
and life and salvation by him, and requiring faith, faith as the condition to interest them in him, promised and uh, gives his Holy Spirit to all his elect to work in them that faith with all other saving graces to enable them unto all holy obedience as the evidence of the truth of their faith and thankfulness to God and as the way which he hath appointed them to salvation. That's the covenant of grace. So for us, in the new administration of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has been given. In the old, it was promised. The mediator is Jesus. In the old, they had sacrifices and everything pointing to Jesus. In us, in the new covenant, Jesus died on our, on our, in our stead. It's the covenant of grace, two different administrations. Was the covenant, question 33, was the covenant of grace always administered after one in the same manner? Answer, the covenant of grace was not always administered after the same manner, but the administrations of it under the Old Testament were different from the, under the new. Question 34, how, it's, it's gonna get better, just, but, okay. Question 34, how was the grace, the covenant of grace administered under the Old Testament? Here we go. How was the covenant of grace administered under the Old? The covenant of grace was administered under the Old Testament by promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the Passover, and other types and ordinances, which did all foresignify Christ then to come, and were for that time sufficient to build up the elect in faith in the promised Messiah, by whom they then had full remission of sin and eternal salvation. I want to focus on this. When God gave the covenant of grace to his people at Mount Sinai, there were all sorts of rules and things that they were supposed to do. Why? It was all to remind them of God and pointing them to the Messiah. So it says here, back to verse uh, 14. The word is very near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart so that you can do it. In the old administration, all of these things were something that the people continually did. Every morning and evening, they prayed the Shema. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. We shall love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, your soul, strength, and might. Every day. They would, get this, they would dress certain ways to remind themselves that they're God's covenant people. They couldn't wear like two different kinds of material. They would plant their fields in a certain way. Why? To remind them that they're God's people. They wouldn't eat certain things. Why? To remind them that they're God's special people. All of these things were meant for them to direct their will, their hearts, to God and they would repeat the prayers and the things. Why? So that they would be reminded. Isn't that great? How about for us in the new covenant? Well, we have the Holy Spirit now. It was promised in the old administration. It's been received in the new. So our ceremonies, our requirements, our, our very 
uh, very, very much fewer. Like, right? So thank God I can eat bacon. In fact, it might be a sign unto you that every time you eat bacon, you should thank God for it. But the Holy Spirit then is the, what directs us. We have his word. We have his spirit. It's, it's near to us. We can, it's, it's not too far out there that you can't follow him. Okay? Let's go on to the offer of life and blessing. Verse 15. See, I've set before you today life and good death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. In other words, here's how life ought to be. I'm the author of it. Here's how you ought to live your life so that you'll have a good life. So you should probably do that. Right? And our wicked hearts will rebel, won't it? Right? So, guess what? I used to be a kid. Seriously. I used to be a kid. How old are you guys? 10? 10 and 11? Okay. I used to be 10 and 11 a long time ago. Seriously. I was. 10 and 11. And you know what? For some reason when I was 10 and 11, I did not appreciate being told how I ought to live. Do you appreciate it? No? Thank you for being honest. I didn't appreciate it either. Uh, My parents, my mom has all sorts of stories about my rebelliousness. I thought I knew better than my parents. But did I? No. And when I continued in my rebellion, there would be one of two things would happen. My parents would correct me, and I would reluctantly get in line, and things would go better for me. Or my parents would allow me to suffer the consequences of my own choices, which do you th- and now I'm going to talk to the adults here real quick. To the adults, because you've lived longer than the 10 and 11-year-olds. It's just a fact. I'm sorry. Just... Which is always better? Living with the consequences of your sin or being corrected before? It's always better to be corrected. It's always better to not have to suffer for the stupidity and evil of choices that go against how God has made things. And I have stories. There's a girl at Providence Academy. Her name's Ava. And I I like to tell stories, and I often tell stories about the stupid things I did when I was a kid. And there's always a moral to it, a point. It wasn't like, yeah, so you should do this too. It was more like, see, this is, don't do this. You should follow this. And she made a sweatshirt for me. On the back it says, stupid choices make good stories. It is my prayer that none of you have good stories. No, I'm just kidding. 
And, um, but it's always better to be corrected. Let's move on to the offer of death and curses, verses 17 and 18. But if you turn your hearts away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over to the Jordan to enter and to possess. It's very clear. There's a way that leads to life, and there's a way that leads to death. And the thing about God is he is so good and so gracious and so merciful. The entire story of the Old Testament is God continually pursuing his people even though they don't deserve it. One of my favorite uh, books in the whole Testament is the book of Hosea, which uh, likens Israel to a prostitute who gets married to the prophet and then goes off and commits adultery. And then God tells the prophet Hosea, go marry her again. Because that's what God is like. God's continually pursuing his people even though we continue to fail. He's good. He doesn't want this perishing for us. In fact, he, he loves us so much he sent his own son to perish on our behalf. Right? This curse, I don't know if you noticed this, this curse was taken on by God himself through his son Jesus. Jesus took on the curse for our sin, for our rebellion. And he died on that cross on our behalf. So you don't have to suffer the wrath of God. You don't have to suffer the curses. You don't have to perish, but you can have eternal life in Jesus Christ. So God makes a plea to us. Verses 19 and 20. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses, curse. Therefore, choose life that you hold your offspring, that, uh, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that your Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give them. He's pleading with them, choose life. He's not saying, I want to have you under my thumb and control your lives. He's saying, I've given you freedom from Egypt. You used to be slaves. Now you're free people. I'm teaching you how to live so that life is good and that you have blessing, that you won't fall under these curses and perish. So please, for, for, for goodness sake, choose life. Choose life. I put a couple of catechism questions from the shorter catechism because those are easier. We got this? How about if I read, I'll read the uh, question, you guys read the answer. How's that sound? Question 82. Is any man able perfectly to keep the commandments of God? Answer, no mere man since the fall is able in this life perfectly to keep the commandments of God, but doth daily break them in thought, word, and deed. So this commandment is given by God, choose life, obey, obey, obey. The reality is, is what? 
We can never be perfect in this. We will always fail. Does God know this? Yeah. Uh, 84. Okay, so you'll notice I went from 82 to 84. 83 just basically says, are all sins the same? And the answer is no, some are worse than others. Okay. But because of the effects they have on other people. 84, what does every sin deserve? Answer, every sin deserves God's wrath and curse, both in this life and that which is to come. Every sin, no matter how small, no matter how big, all deserves his wrath and his curse. Question 85, what does God require of us that we may escape his wrath and curse due to us for sin? Answer, to escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin, God requires of us faith in Jesus Christ, repentance unto life, with the diligent use of all the outward means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. All right, so Jesus and the new covenant. We have a definite benefit over the people that God spoke to here in Deuteronomy. And that is, that old administration kept pointing us to a Messiah. We have the Messiah. He died on our behalf. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And he's given us our church. That we can come every week and renew our covenant with him. Every week we have the opportunity to repent unto life. Every week we can hear again about God's grace, about his mercy, about what God has done for us and his people. Every week we can come and commune with him at the table. Choose life. Choose life. My friend, the one who had the adulterous part, he readily admits that in their marriage they were growing apart because they weren't connecting and talking about their problems. And that time apart allowed for the heart to be attached elsewhere. Folks, when we talk about coming to church, it's not because we like the numbers. I, I promise you, Pastor Dan's not anxiously going, how many were there in church today? We want to we wanna grow bigger. <laughs> no, seriously, that's not even in our minds. In a session meeting, that's not what's going on. In fact, too many of you is expensive and we got to build stuff, you know. Can't you go somewhere else? No, I'm just kidding. But here's what pains us. Hey, have you guys seen so-and-so? Where's this family? Where's this person? Because when we're not coming together to renew our covenant, guess where our hearts are going? And I bet all of you know this from experience. I know it from experience. 
When I was a young man shortly after college, there was a little period of time where I was not going to church. I had all sorts of excuses why. And you know what I felt? I understood my desires for the things of the world grew. It would be very easy for me to commit spiritually adul- spiritual adultery in doing so. I beg of you, choose life. Come. Come to church. If you're away, find a church there. Grow close to him. It's not too far off. And if you've sinned, if you've done whatever you've done, there's mercy and grace for you. Christ has died. He's taken the curse for you. Just come and enjoy the life he's given you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your love for us. We thank you so much that we have the opportunity as sinners to renew our covenant with you, to be able to come and hear your word proclaimed, to be able to praise you, to confess our sin, Lord, to commune with you through your son Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection. Father, I pray that you would draw us close to you, that we might choose life and live the blessed life that you have promised to us and provided for us. We pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.